Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the June 19th, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. We have some choices, folks. It's uh, We can deal with this irony straight on. This is Juneteenth. It was when the last of the enslaved were emancipated by the Union soldiers in, I believe, oh, I'm gonna get the right, wrong year, 1860, look it up, for Juneteenth. It's being celebrated by our African-American brothers and sisters. We can celebrate it along with them in what choices we make, and we can make choices. I've been checking around, and uh, the students uh, weren't all that impressive in the election turnout. Guys, get registered and get voting. The primary isn't the thing to sit out. You gotta vote. So email me at cshambaugh at KUCI.org and let me know what's going on, what's got to take to get you there and vote. The stakes aren't high enough already. Today, soprano composer Patrice Michaels and Sadi Records founder-producer James Ginsburg will take up their knowing collaboration about the Supreme Court's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, celebrated on a new album entitled Notorious RBG in Song. In the second segment, Rashad Al-Dabag, as a member of the Arab American Civic Council, will report back on getting to know members of Congress over his recent trip to D.C. Breaking news around this broadcast may be a U.S. Supreme Court ruling on the Muslim ban. We'll be right back after a brief station break with our uh, first guest. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. My guests Ooh. in this segment are soprano Patrice Michaels and recording studio owner James Ginsburg here to talk about the Supreme Court's Ruth Bader Ginsburg celebrated new album, Notorious RBG in Song, sung by soprano Patrice Michaels on Sidi Records, the record company owned by James. Patrice Michaels has performed on stage in concert and in recital since her debut with the Cleveland Opera. Her operatic appearances include Lyric Opera of Chicago, Central City, Tacoma Opera, the Banff Center, and Chicago Opera Theater. She's been guest soloist of the Shanghai, Czech National, St. Louis, Atlanta Phoenix, and Minnesota Orchestras, the Maryland Handel Festival, Kansas City and Virginia Symphonies, as well as New York's Concert Royal, Chicago's Music of the Baroque, and the Maverick Festival. Her guest appearances include Chicago Chamber Musicians, the Schubert Club of St. Paul, the Festival Contemporary Music in Havana, Cuba, tours of Central and South America with Trio Chicago and Friends, with pianist John Browning for music at the Supreme Court and at Guanajuato's International Festival Cervantino. Ms. Michaels can be heard on more than 25 critically acclaimed recordings, including on the Sedil label, where she's featured most recently in Intersection, Jazz Meets Classical Song. We'll be right back to that theme later in the interview. An advocate for the music of contemporary composer Laurie Altman, she can be heard singing his compositions in Encores on Albany Records and in the recently released Sonic Migrations recording on Niels. A Mozart specialist, Patrice Michaels, tours a special concert released on the CD label Divas of Mozart's Day. 
She completed her BAs in music and theater from Pomona College and her MFA in voice from the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Formerly a professor of music at Lawrence University's Conservatory of Music, Patrice now resides in Chicago and serves as director of vocal studies at the University of Chicago. My other guest, James Ginsburg, is a music producer. He's the founder producer of Sedil Records, a label he launched back in 1989 while studying at the University of Chicago. He launched Sedil Records to focus on classical music produced by artists and composers in Chicago. The label is based in the Edgewater neighborhood of the city. Long live community radio along with community music production, I say. Encouraged by the critical and commercial response to his early recordings, Ginsburg abandoned law school in his second year to devote himself full-time to Sedil Records. In 2009, the Chicago Tribune nominated Ginsburg as, quote, Chicagoan of the year, end quote, honoring him as one of the last independent entrepreneurs in classical recording, a man who has stuck to his artistic vision and made a success of it at a time of market shrinking and industry downsizing, they said. In 2010, Ginsburg won the Helen Coburn Meyer and Tim Meyer Charitable Foundation for the Arts Achievement Award. And James, you earned your BA in what at the University of Chicago? Actually, in economics, and I'll just make one note. Uh, Sadie is actually a nonprofit uh, label, so I don't own it. Uh, I, I run it for the uh, mission of recording and promoting these wonderful Chicago artists. And the community spirit, I and mean, always. Thank you. Both are here today to take stock of their latest achievement, their collaboration with pianist Kuang Hao Huang, Three parts education, three parts entertainment, and six parts inspiration. Both Patrice Michaels and James Ginsburg come to us today from Chicago. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Patrice and James. Thanks so much. It's great to be talking with you. Well, congratulations, both of you, on this remarkable tribute, I'd like to call it, if ever a tribute was due, it's the woman who embodies the long game like no other, sort of an uncanny combination of workhorse and diva. So it's uh, natural for us and everybody who's put you on, you're, you've been put on the, the introduction, launching and interview tour. We want to know about the genesis of this project, which I understand to be entirely separate from the documentary we're all familiar with in similar name. Okay, so how did you, Patrice, conceive of this project? Well, actually, it was a tiny little gift that started it all. James and his sister Jane wanted to give a special present to their mother for her 80th birthday five years ago. And since singing and music are really the things that she loves outside of the law, uh, it was uh, easy for them to imagine that a gift of new songs would be something she would particularly enjoy. And particularly from women composers. So, so uh, for one, the... Just uh, one moment, uh, just one thing I want to say. Now, Patrice, for, from now on, instead of outside of the law, I would hope you would say alongside of the law. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, oh, James, so, you were saying. So for her 80th birthday, we chose three specific texts and we chose the composers and matched them up. 
Uh, and two of the texts were actually 50th birthday tributes uh, to my mother, the one that uh, we assigned to Chinese-Canadian composer Vivian Fung, who now lives in the United States, was my sister's tribute. It was a pot roast recipe, uh, tongue-in-cheek, yes. uh, because mother's pot roast was truly horrible. Uh, and the recipe is full of asides, which give a portrait of the Ginsburg family household in the evening, his lines, you know, his cooking instructions, such as rewrite your child's English essay. And it also includes references to actual real culinary mishaps, uh, such as the uh, roast ham with sliced thumb and the uh, singed eyebrows um, <sighs> that really did happen to my mother before we retired her from the kitchen. And Vivian had the brilliant idea of setting this thing to... Uh, uh, music reminiscent of Bernstein's La Bonne Cuisine. So there's a real irony in, in the music there, which is particularly delicious. Oh, my goodness. So that's one, so that's one setting. Then the other composer, uh, Stacy Garrop, a Chicago composer that CD Records has championed uh, in recent years, uh, we assigned her probably the toughest task. Uh, this was the letter my mother and I found in my father's hospital room right before he passed away and it's uh, a final love letter to my mother and it's incredibly touching and and Stacy's uh, music makes it even more um, pathetic in, in the good sense of that word and I have to agree it is a tough job to sing that song but worth every second of it it's a really beautiful song I hope people enjoy it and the other text was another 50th birthday tribute, this time from a typist at my father's law firm, recently uh, emigrated from Spain, who comes you know, to the United States and is suddenly handed these, as she writes, uh, yellow legal pads of handwritten notes, uh, which were my mother's early writings on gender discrimination, which make absolutely no sense to her. But uh, the refrain in the letter and the song is, I kept typing. And it's a conversion story to feminism through writing my mother's texts. And that one, of course, was assigned to Patrice. And I found that that one rolled off my pencil just without any effort whatsoever. Uh, I had always been a composer back since the days of high school and uh, at my postgraduate studies in Banff where I was both singing and composing, I had to make a decision. So when I came back to the States, I came back as a singer. And I thought, I will pick up my composition life when the singing uh, allows me to do so. And this little project really was the watering can for the seeds that had been dormant for a while. So after that uh, performance for the 80th birthday and uh, getting to know so many of the people uh, who really have a foundational understanding of Justice Ginsburg's life and context, I thought, I will try to pull together enough texts to create a true portrait of her, both from other people's perspectives and from her own writings. Well, there you have it, folks. A, a kind of brain trust, talent scouting, and uh, in the longest, deepest sense, that I, I think if it weren't for this kind of heft that you were bringing to your collaboration, I think she would have shut this project down, don't you think? Well, um, <laughs> I think she has excellent taste, yes. and I'm honored that she has approved of allowing to me to be part of the cottage industry that is RBG. Oh she doesn't God. always get to choose whether <laughs> exactly. things are, are created in her image or produced uh, for commercial release. 
uh, in this case, none of us would have pursued this project at all if she didn't uh, enjoy it and, uh, and approve of it. So, and, we, and we know she does because she has invited Patrice to sing various songs from the cycle at events she's been involved in for the last few years. Yes, and we're going to give people a chance to learn how to follow you. So if there's going to be any of this chamber music presented in our own communities, then we're, we'll, they'll have a chance to do that. Well, this, I'm, I guess I'm going to be a bit chronologic. I'm going to back step a bit with um, a personal question to you, James. When you were in utero, do you think you heard more oral arguments or opera? That's a... That's an interesting question. Um, I have to re re try to remember how far, how early mother started arguing cases in, in front of the Supreme Court. I think that that might have been after, mostly after I was born, but there was certainly music always in the household. So I would say that would be more likely, uh, especially opera recordings. And of course, you know, um, I was, I'm sure, in utero when my parents were going to the opera, uh, especially at the New York City Opera and the Met in New York. Okay. For those of you who've just tuned in, my guests are Patrice Michaels and James Ginsburg. Patrice is the soprano performing, and she's composed the, uh, the lead role, and James is the producer of Notorious RBG in Song with pianist Kwang Hao Huang, accompanying Ms. Michaels on Sadiv Records. Well, you call it, Patrice, you're being a docent walking people through the life of RBG in song. Talk about the voices that you're presenting. Well, I tried to incorporate all of the essential voices, uh, and that means pri primarily her mother, she often credits Celia Amsterbader with being the most important influence in her life. Her father-in-law, whom she called father, with giving her very sound advice that actually allowed her to spread her wings in a way that I don't think very many fathers-in-law would have done. Certainly not in the mid-1950s. Indeed. Her husband, with whom she argued only one case, uh, but that case really set up their lives and her life in particular for a complete change of direction in the law and has given us a tremendous legacy. Uh, her two children, her older child, Jane, um, who has in some ways followed in her footsteps as a wonderful legal mind uh, and who grew up in the early 60s when many mothers were still worrying about whether it was okay for them to have a job outside the house. Her naughty little boy, who came along 10 years later. That might be James. That would be James, yes. And uh, the part of his life that I chose to tell is actually at his request, a story from those naughty days that his mother really enjoys. Then we have the dissenting opinions, which I knew would be a critical component to this cycle and uh, a pretty daunting task to decide that you're going to set a dissenting opinion, not one, but five, in a song. Wow. But I'm, I'm very pleased with the way the structure and the, the uh, expression of that song came out. Uh, it includes a gavel that was actually given to me by my mother-in-law, Justice Ginsburg. And that gavel is used to start and end every opinion. 
and it includes a speaker who explains what the case is, as well as the sung dissent and a comment by Justice Ginsburg at the end. I will continue to give voice to my dissent if, in my judgment, the court veers in the wrong direction when important matters are at stake. So that was very satisfying to set. And then finally, a, a, a more um, informal uh, conversation with Justice Ginsburg in which she's asked, what do you think a president should look for in a Supreme Court justice? And what about polarization? Well, she answers at length in words about the qualities that a justice should have. And then I chose to set her answer about polarization uh, as a tribute to her love of singing and her desire that her fantasy career as grand opera diva could be given voice. So uh, after she says, oh, yes, and about polarization, the whole cycle ends with a vocalese, uh, high-flying, stratospheric singing with no words. Which reflects Mother's uh, comment that she's made many times that her dream vocation, uh, had she not been in law, would have been as a grand opera diva. So I'm going to put in a request now that I, this revelation about Patrice's uh, relationship to RBG is that the another collaboration later that you will sing a manual on how to be the a first-rate mother-in-law. I'll set that request aside. So that's <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, and so now you've kind of mentioned this around that. Just both of you talk about how you're blending the genres classical and jazz. Something about which you've done extensively in both of your careers. Well, I, I would say that's uh, mainly for Patrice. Uh, the way Sadie Records works is really these wonderful Chicago artists come to me with their ideas, and many of them, uh, yes, do have ideas that cross boundaries or genres, uh, uh, not not only jazz, but uh, I think of groups like Eighth Blackbird, which has won four Grammys for the uh, label, and I think one reason for their success is their tendency to push the envelope and, and expand the boundaries of what we call classical music. And Patrice, uh, both on her previous album, Intersection Meets uh, Jazz Meets Classical Song, and this new album, pushes our uh, boundaries a little bit in two different directions uh, and then how she merges the two, I think uh, you should talk about. Well, this is my chance to shout out to my homeland because I grew up in Southern California, yeah. Montclair, to right. be specific. Okay. Did, did my undergrad at Pomona and uh, still have friends in Irvine. Hi, Irvine. Yeah, that's where we uh, are. And when I grew up, there were two jazz radio stations. And I loved listening, and I was fortunate to be able to get to some clubs now and again. And I just still find that the art of uh, jazz musicianship is the highest art for me as a musician. So although my career has taken me in a slightly different direction as a singer, my voice, my personal musical voice, clearly is an amalgam of jazz and classical music. So as a composer, I don't actually have a choice. That's who I am. That's how it comes out. And fortunately, this project deals with a period of time from 1940s to the present in the United States. So to me, it feels like what could be more natural 
the harmonic language, uh, some of the structure makes sense to me as a sort of jazz meets classical project. And how did you come together with pianist Kwang Hao Huang? And I hope I've not slaughtered it too much. I, I no, you have said exactly it right. beautifully. Oh, I am thank so you. pleased. Oh, well, so and talk about meeting up with him and organizing this jazz principle with him. Well, little did I know until our very first rehearsal together, which I went to with great trepidation because I knew Kwang Hao's playing from recordings and from hearing him in a concert or two. I felt he was the greatest uh, collaborative pianist in Chicago. And when he said yes to our previous project, Intersection Jazz Meets Classical Song, I was over the moon. But at our first rehearsal, I was pretty nervous. I didn't know if I would measure up. Come to find out, Kwang Hao is actually also... A, a trombonist no. from a way back. Wow. Yes, and he loves jazz. So uh, we were fortunate to find that this corner of our lives could be, well, so a room in our lives, I suppose. We could both open the door to this in a, a new way, in a special way. A lot of fun collaborating on this. And in fact, in the, on the previous album, Kwang Hao even gets to do some jazz solos, uh, preludes in a jazz style by uh, Kapustin, which are really great fun, and they they're used to to uh, break up the uh, the different sets of songs on that album. So I want to talk about how the notorious RBG in song is getting a lot of projects done on a lot of levels: American history, advocacy of policies, cultural winking, as we were talking about earlier. To Ruth Bader Ginsburg's profound love of opera. So you had so many themes on so many levels to thread in there. How it must have been an editing and a kind of a it's a it's a mastery of composition in so many directions levels. Well, thank you, but I have to say it's so organic because it comes out of our all of our deepest experiences. Um, Perhaps because I'm the new kid on the block in the family, Jim and I have only been married for almost eight years, uh, and we've been uh, colleagues for, what, 24 years or something uh, like that? Over 25 now. Oh, my gosh. We're getting so old. <laughs> nope. Um, I, I knew the family in a sort of peripheral sense for some time, and I was very honored to be invited to sing uh, at one of the court concerts with John Browning, the incredible contemporary music pianist from uh, the mid to late 20th century, championed Samuel Barber's works and many others. So I've had, I had these experiences that were deep but not intimate. And then uh, joining into the family in 2010 and having the year before to get to know everyone in a, in a more personal way, that has really brought a perspective, I think, to what the family is that I suppose I, I can think about because I am an outsider in a sense. But then taking the scholarly approach to the history of the family, uh, I just feel like I've learned so much and grown so much into an understanding of who everyone is and and why it became such a profound influence on our general culture. It's been fabulous. So Besides, I, would, I like 
Yes. I like being married to I like being married to Jim Ginsburg. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk then uh, as we're winding the interview down, the family reaction and others' reactions to RBG and notorious RBG and song. Well, my mother's. Uh, I'm really delighted with it, uh, as I may have mentioned before. Yes. She's invited Patrice to sing various songs from the cycle uh, at uh, different occasions uh, where she's been presenting uh, both in legal circles, such as the Second Circuit Judicial Conference. Uh, she's the justice overseeing that circuit. That's the one that includes her home state of New York. Uh, and also at presentations at places like uh, Glimmerglass Opera in Santa Fe, uh, where she has invited Patrice to uh, actually, as the cycle is being written, so whatever the newest songs were, these would make the, their way on to uh, usually getting their pr public premieres at these various events that mom was involved in. So that's how much she was enjoying the process as it was going along. And upcoming next week, uh, there's a, an event at the National Museum of Women in the Arts ah. celebrating her 25 years on the Supreme Court. And I'm so thrilled that other singers will be singing my song cycle. A reason to be in D.C., for sure. Yeah. Sorry? Mm -hmm. Yes. And some, and some pretty significant names, uh, mezzo-soprano Janae Bridges and soprano Susanna Phillips will be splitting the cycle. Along with Capitol Hearings, the D.C.-based vocal ensemble, who will be doing a four-part version of the eighth movement, the dissenting opinions. So that will be a world premiere, the uh, choral setting there. So folks can follow this on sadirecords.org. I'll put that up in the podcast summary. And uh, is, is there another way that they can follow all of these performances? So we can Sure. You, yeah, you can go to patricemichaels.com and Facebook page, Notorious RBG and Song and Notorious RBG. And uh, I will add that there's also something we created on Spotify. In addition, of course, this album is available on Spotify. But uh, in conjunction with it, we put up, uh, based on an article that was in The New Yorker about six years ago now by Alex Ross, where he did a listing of some of my mother's favorite uh, recordings, oh. mostly operas. And so I chose excerpts from each of those uh, recordings. And there's a Spotify uh, playlist uh um, uh, no, uh, uh, notorious uh, RB. I think it's called Notorious. Uh, our Ruth Bader Ginsburg's favorite recordings, basically, is, is that Spotify list. I mean, that's that's a tribute to her. Is that there's so many adoring nicknames and full names and all and reverential names for her. So, I I just I think I want to say that this eight year marriage of such such force. It's got to be. As it continues and deepens and the collaboration deepens, it's got to be a registering of Martin's appreciation of the work you're doing for, from where Martin is at this point. Uh, well, no doubt. And uh, I think it, it, I'm so happy that Patrice got to know my father yes. a little bit uh, before he passed away. Um, and I think the fourth song in the cycle on working together mm. is... Uh, includes basically a musical portrait of my father. In fact, do you want to talk about your baseline there? Well, I, I try to create a motive for each of the personalities that uh, is in some way related to their name. So you'll often hear three-note melodic figures that are recognizable as motivic creations. But in Martin's case, I really wanted something that would uh, show his sly wit so I created a walking bass line wow. in 5-4 time that I think really shows uh, 
his personality so well. It's well, a lot of fun. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you, both of you, for taking the time on your busy launching schedule these several weeks. It's a great pleasure to talk with you and hear your questions, Claudia. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. My guests were Patrice Michaels and James Ginsburg. Patrice is the soprano and the composer performing the lead role, and James is the producer of Notorious RBG in Song with pianist Quang Hao Huang accompanying Ms. Michaels on City Records. We are going to go out with Scalia Ginsburg, a track on Notorious RBG in Song. You'd spare us such pain if you just entertained this idea. Then you might relax your rigid posture. We'll be right back after a brief station break. Washad al-Dabak, member of the Arab American Civic Council. He's got a few things to say since his recent trip to Washington, D.C. Scalia Ginsburg, a notorious RBG in song, that beautiful track sung by Patrice Michaels and produced by my guest, also on the, the segment, James Ginsburg. Welcome back to the show. Returning to Ask a Leader is my next guest, Rashad Aldabah. He's born and raised in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, to a Palestinian father and a Lebanese-Armenian mother. Rashad Aldabag moved to Southern California in 1999 and has been an Arab-American community activist since he was a student at California State University, Fulton, where he earned his Master's of Arts in Political Science. Rashad is the founder and executive director and everywhere all the time with the Arab-American Civic Council, an organization that advocates for the community through civic engagement. He is a board member of the Network of Arab American Professionals. He's an elected delegate to the California Democratic Party representing the 65th Assembly District. I think that's still true. Mm -hmm. And the former vice chair of the Central Democratic Party's Arab American Caucus. He was previously the communications manager for the Syrian American Council, partnership specialist with the United States Census Bureau. Boy, we better have you back when that Right. That form changes. <laughs> and associate director at Access California Services, a social service organization, Anaheim. Previously with uh, Refugees Welcome, and we'll maybe get a quick update about how that, uh, with the refugee situation, has dried up considerably, and it's it's not what the organization had been dialed up uh, and active in before. Rashad traveled to our nation's capital late April for Arab Leadership Days just before Ramadan. We'll talk about that full roster of activities. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Rashad Aldabag. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you on because you were there. We were we couldn't fly be flies on the wall with all those places, all oh the places you went in DC. So what did you 
the Arab American Civic Council, and you said there were other, when we're in right. preparation for this, just off mic, mentioned that there were organizations all over the country con- congregating and coming mm-hmm. there in D.C. So what was it you wanted to get done? Mm-hmm. What would be like, what was the the mm-hmm. the goal? So um, we live in times where we can't afford but to step up, but to organize, uh, demand our rights, our equal rights, and... Um, you know, protect our families, our communities, uh, because we are currently under a Trump administration and we have witnessed extremist policies, white supremacist policies uh, that are, you know, separating families, uh, banning people, banning refugees, and using them as scapegoats for our problems. So um, the uh, uh, this D.C. trip was... Uh, uh, organized by the National Network for Arab American Communities, uh, it's an umbrella organization based in in uh, in Michigan. Uh, of all the uh, the uh, uh, Arab American organizations and social service organizations across the country, also Arab American Institute, and we were part of that uh, delegation that came from Southern California, and it started with a rally be- uh, at the Supreme Court because. That very same day, it happened to be when um, there was a uh, the oral argument on the uh, Muslim ban, on the Muslim travel ban. Uh, that's the executive order uh, implemented by uh, Trump, and then it was blocked by federal courts. And then um, that day, the Supreme Court was considering whether the ban violates uh, our immigration laws or, or our U.S. Constitution. Of course, we believe that it does. And, uh, you know, it bans people from uh, countries like uh, Iran, from Syria, Libya, Yemen, uh, and Somalia. And uh, Most of the majority countries, yes. as it's, as it's defined. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we rallied in front of the Supreme Court that day. A decision, of course, wasn't made until uh, n- now, this month. There's a decision that will be made on that uh, on the ban. Um, so that's what that's how it started. And then from there, we gathered with uh, with 20 something delegations um, coming from different uh, states, some of us from here in California, uh, s- Southern California and Northern California, and then in, in many different states. We gathered over three uh, days and uh, we, we strategized, uh, talked about the issues that are most uh, important to us and then um, met with our congressional representatives uh, on the Hill. So if some of the issues that we, uh, we talked about, of course, the Muslim ban is uh, one of our priorities. And then um, there's also TPS, Temporary Protected Status, which is um, being, in, in some cases, it was removed by the administration. For example, in El Salvador, it was terminated for um, immigrants uh, from El Salvador that are here on TPS uh, on TPS, and we when we met with our representatives, for example, Luke Correa, who I live in his district in Anaheim, uh, met with him and we asked him to ex- uh, to support a a letter uh, authored by um, by another congresswoman um, to uh, extend and support TPS, especially folks from Syria and Yemen. <clears throat> that's a priority for us, and uh, right now a lot is being done, uh, especially on the Yemen situation because the war is still ongoing, and we need to protect our families. We need to protect our communities, um, those that came from that country 
uh, to the United States must be stayed, must be prote- protected, and this TPS must be extended to uh, to an- another 18 months, um, which is done uh, peri- periodically every 18 months, I-, I believe, to to keep them safe here in America. Um, another really important issue was um, the laws that are being implemented on uh, uh not implemented i'm sorry uh, it's these are anti bds anti boycott divestment sanctions um uh, bills that are uh being considered in starting Congress. with new york state right yes but there's a federal version to governor oh come on. okay yes. he supported that anti boycott yes there's and a, so now there, there's a movement through congress mm-hmm. there was a california bill too and it passed but it was watered down yes oh wow yes um, but this federal bill, uh, do you have the number for the federal bill? Yes. Th- th- it's, um, the, uh, Senate number is 720 and then, uh, house resolution 1697. 1697. Yes. Okay. So, um, the bill includes, uh, several, uh, civil and criminal penalties up to $1 million, uh, fines for, uh, um, you know, people that, uh, and companies that choose, to uh, participate in the boycott divestment sanctions uh, movement against uh, the uh, Israeli government for its violations of human rights. And um, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of members of Congress that are co-sponsoring this bill, even the progressives, the the ones that you think that they believe the uh, our free speech rights. Are, Adam Schiff, uh, he's probably in. Yes, I understand because he gets a lot of APAC support. Yes, he's a co-sponsor. It colors lots of his votes. Yes. While we're watching other progressive moves, he's yeah. So we we call them progressives, except on Palestine, which you know it's 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 it's, it's a, to me it's a unicorn because you can't be progressive if you're not progressive uh, on it's that issue. Rights. It's a human rights issue. And Luke Correa too. He's he's one of the co-sponsors, and it's unfortunate, but he's one of. Well, one he of plays the, a very mount down the middle with most things in mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. D- is there a discussion that ACLU could take this on as a, a an a breach of the exercising one's First Amendment rights? Yes, the ACLU is one of the leading organizations that are were involved in in this bill, uh, both the uh, state version as well as the federal, and that's uh, that's they are the main reason why uh, the state version, uh, them and, and other organizers across the, the state. The, the bill was watered down and then there was more and more discussions. And even the federal one, um, uh, the original version, uh, the earlier version included uh, jail time. Uh, that was removed from the revised version. But it's still it's still not uh, passed. But after it was revised, more members of Congress co-sponsored it. And one of them is Linda Sanchez, um, unfortunately. But still, any version of it to me is... Uh, unacceptable because this is our protected free speech right to right to boycott and it we just because the target here is uh, is Israel which is committing human rights violations and occupation it, it doesn't mean that we should have laws that um, infringe on our rights so I'm just gonna look at Congresswoman Sanchez is in the 38th district yes. I think that's up north of Long Beach uh, it, it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's in the, I think it's uh, Cerritos is part of it. So okay. it's parts of Orange County and then there, L.A. Uh, County. Okay, just so we can yeah. place her for those mm-hmm. who aren't familiar mm-hmm. with her. So back to, so you were talking about House Resolution sixteen ninety seven and the Senate Bill seven twenty mm-hmm. to deal with criminally 
mm-hmm. some, to some extent for mm-hmm. or, or no for the boycott to to undermine a boycott and mm-hmm. in in various measures. So what so what are the actual measures that might you said that they're no longer going to have that wouldn't be perhaps uh, serving jail time, but what what would be the measures against them? Uh, fine up to uh, up to one million dollars. So real huge deterrence. Yes, yes. and a uh, real gag. Uh, obviously, the the uh, the intent here is to chill free speech uh, because they want people to be uh, afraid. And even though we can still boycott uh, legally, but uh, that will deter people from exercising their their rights because they're afraid now. Um, the builder direct also uh, export import bank to deny loans to companies engaged and protected uh, free, in protected free speech rights to boycott Israel. So if, if you're a company and you, you know you'll you'll lose contracts, you'll you'll be denied loan loans. So um, uh, this is you know un- unacceptable and boycott is 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 an American. Uh, Tim- an action. action. Yeah, we, we've done it. It's an expression. Yes, it's boycotts. We've done it here. Um, African-Americans uh, 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 were engaged in, in boycotts to, to gain their civil rights and internationally, such as uh, South Africans who um, and, and, you know, many countries that joined the uh, boycott, the divestment movement against uh, apartheid uh, South Africa. So we will continue to speak up about this issue and many other issues. But unfortunately, this one issue always, uh, whenever it's... Well, it's financial. And there's a... I mean, APAC is so organized. Exactly. They're like... They're like... There's the NRA's organization. Mm -hmm. And then right around that, that degree of intensity of lobbying capacity is American-Israeli Political Action Committee, APAC. Yes. Uh, And um, to me, it's even more dangerous because both uh, it it, it kind of holds hostage both parties not just one not you'll you'll see Democrats and and Republicans yeah they're they're very effective so for those of you joined us my guest is Rashad Aldabak member of the and founder of the Arab American Civic Council posting us on his recent trip in DC so uh, quickly if you could tell us what were any kinds of interesting encounters or some uh, revelations some some surprises that you experienced before we go into some of the stuff happening locally in DC but talk about DC um so i you know my direct interaction was with congressman lucorea okay over and there, you could meet him here, but you met him there. I met him there, and I met his staff there, and he knows whenever I meet him, I'm going to talk about this because Lucre is one of those people that will uh, stand up with us uh, when it's when it comes to the uh, to the to refugees, the Muslim ban, <laughs> snipping but, ribbons. Yes, but when exactly, you know, we'll we'll take him around to to have you know falafels and 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 uh, you know good food in, in Little Arabia, in Anaheim, but an issue like this. He knows that I'm going to bring it up every time, and I will continue to bring it up every time. You're smiling, but yeah, but (laughs) charm offense, but yeah. Right. So, Um, so tell us what. Yeah, anything that he said differently? Any any kind of surprise? We can't all be there in D.C. while you're there. We want to know what happened. Unfortunately, there were no surprises. That's the that's the call. Yes. Oh Um, wow. We also met with Norma Torres' uh, staff members. Uh, And was she? She was not there, but no, her district. Yes, she's in uh, in the. Um, she's in Southern California. The thirty second okay. district. Okay. Yeah, we met with uh, with Southern California members, and then uh, other Southern California members met with their own. So so, uh, I happened to meet with those two, but then we had um, someone from also from from Huntington Beach who met with the staff of Dana Rorobacher. 
that obviously didn't go too well. But no surprises. I mean, no, Norman Tarsus you know, is in the thirty fifth, and that it, part of it, I think, but, it's Chino in, in the surrounding areas. But, okay, so but no then, surprises. Um, uh, we also had a congressional briefing breakfast while we were there, but right before we went to to meet with these congressional representatives. And um, we had Congressman uh, Keith Ellison. Yeah, from uh, Minnesota. He was here with the with some fundraising in right. uh, October. Right. I got a chance okay. to talk to him, actually. Told him about college radio. Yeah. I think he's he's running for... Um, Is uh, it Attorney State General? Attorney General yeah. now. In yeah. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hank Johnson from Georgia, uh, Betty McCollum from Minnesota, and then Brenda Lawrence from Michigan. We didn't, these were the Congress members who came to our congressional uh, breakfast briefing. And Betty McCollum is one who uh, initiated a bill that is known as the Protecting Human Rights by Ending Israeli Military Detention of Palestinian Children. Here's the theme, folks. That's And I'm on it. Well, the Muslim ban and that coalescing... The Senate Bill 720 and House Resolution 69, there's a huge Venn diagram overlapping with how the tactics are real similar Mm -hmm. and the asymmetry of the power structure and the vulnerable. I mean, it's it's very remarkable. So I was aware that you are coalescing with the Arab American Civic Council with Asian Americans advancing justice. So were mm-hmm. th- were they in D.C. or are that is that mainly a Southern Californian kind of congregating coalescing? Uh, well, they are, but we're uh, we do work with them here locally in, okay. in Southern California. So and that's got some pickup. Yes. Uh, um, Tell us a little bit about that. I think that's really interesting. The your uh, the bill that I just mentioned. The, the Asian Americans advancing justice. Yes. Uh, so we're, we're part of the coalition. Um, that we came together in, in because of the uh, Trump policies that are anti-immigrant, anti-refugee, and we know that um, they serve immigrant and refugee communities. So uh, uh, alongside the Asian American Advancing Justice, we have uh, we work with CARE in That's Orange the County Council of on American, American Islamic Relations. Yes, um, uh, ACLU Southern California, uh, Accord here in Orange County, and then. Um, uh, other other local groups, mainly on immigrant rights issues, um, and of course the ban, the Muslim ban, also sanctuary cities and and, and uh, other issues. But right now, we are uh, organizing uh, in, in anticipation for the decision that will be the Supreme Court decision on the Muslim ban, which is anticipated, as you said, either it could be this Thursday, yes, or next Monday, or. If, uh, the if it, delay with an extended session. Right, but it's in June. In June. So not many it, days left in June. There's not so. many days left in June, but you know, these are two possible dates where the decision will happen. So uh, so the day of the decision we will be gathering with the groups I just mentioned uh for a press conference. Uh we will announce it as soon as uh, it, it, it the decision date comes. And um, it will be in Little Arabia on Brookhurst Street. We'll have a press conference and then an action uh, that follows the press conference. And then uh, hopefully we are also planning a a town hall uh, a couple days after decision. After that, okay. And it's easy to find that Brookhurst. It's, I don't know what, what cross street there. It's the... But Little Arabia can be searched and people can find exactly that location where many, many Ramadan 
the uh-huh. feast of an uh, taken place there. So, yes. well, I, I want to get a chance to talk about what got a little bit more muddied for Arabs. Zara mm-hmm. Bilou is the executive director of the San Francisco chapter of the Council on Arab Islamic American. Uh, American. I'm sorry, Islamic relations, and uh, her rounds with an honor were given and then they were taken away mm-hmm. by a bridge building nonprofit activist organization known as People Acting in Community Together. PACT is the acronym we will use to refer to them. Not only did her award disappear, but her image about the upcoming con- uh, the convention in October that's posted on PACT's website, <laughs> that got cleared too. So what uh, what do you want to say to us? As we're, we don't have very many questions left here, but to unpackage that completely so um, we know how to respond when there's an undercurrent of mm-hmm. dissension about uh, that's not at, at all tolerant of any criticism of Israel mm-hmm. that interferes with a, I mean, she's an attorney, mm-hmm. she's an activist, and she she tweeted some comments that were there was a zero tolerance for her comments and money was going to be withdrawn from PAC. So, what are what are some lessons learned? How would would the Arab American Civic Council sort of try to be proactive with how to deal with those kinds of withdrawals mm-hmm. of ac- acknowledgments of people's yeah. worth? Yeah, that was unfortunate. That, that's unacceptable because we're dealing with allies here. Um, we should be uh, better to each other. That's that was just an unacceptable move. But it's it's not surprising. I don't think this is the first time. But we have a problem in America. And if if you criticize Israel's human rights violations and uh, military occupation of of Palestine, you may suffer consequences. That's what we learned from the. Even if if you're dealing with your friends and allies. you can be progressive all you want, but this is one issue that it. it they make us feel like this is one issue that you cannot, they don't want us to touch. Um, Zahra, uh, with with care, um, is being punished for her refusal to compromise on the rights uh, of children and families living under Israeli uh, occupation. And uh, rescinding that award is just unacceptable. Um, this is a test of allyship and um, uh, so-called allies you know our allies and friends uh, in this case they failed they failed and um, they failed to pass this test and uh, um, the test is what you do uh, the test of allyship is, is what you do when there's a challenge when 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 there's um when thi- when things are scary it's not just to come together and, and laugh and be friends and act like we're uh, we're protecting each other but then when something challenging happens you just drop the ball and pretend like we're are, are we are we allies or not? So That's I mean, the if Pact is all about bridge building, was was there an exercise in there to say we're going to work internally? We're going to not. It's not an outward bridge building, an inward bridge building. We want and did the, did various uh, did care or other organizations say that co- try to call out? So who was dissenting with her getting that award? I mean, what's so? Isn't there an inward kind of exercise that could have gone on with Pact and people could interact with them? And what do we know? What do are we learn that to do to head off this kind of thing? It's going to happen again in another setting. Because, like you said, you shouldn't. You weren't surprised when it happened then. So it's going to happen another time. So how to be proactive about that? We need to c- continue uh, to add. First of all, we will not, not compromise on this issue because that's a central issue for us. Um, 
these are children and families that we uh, are going to stand uh, with uh, living under occupation. But we need to continue to build bridges and continue to educate our uh, friends and allies uh, about this this matter and how important it is to us if they want to be true friends to us this it, it's like telling you know african americans we are going to build bridges but please don't talk about police brutality or, or don't don't talk about you know stay uh, in your stinking schools it, it, exactly keep your, your tap the way it is yeah so it's it's a frustrating issue but it happened i remember years ago when when uh, senator barbara boxer gave an an, an award to uh, a care Sacramento uh, executive director and then rescinded the award she, after she would after they were under pressure from uh, pro-Israel groups and this is this happened here pro-Israel groups put them under pressure we don't know who exactly I don't know who exactly it is but you know they'll be bullied and, and threaten them with cutting funds and, and then they budge but we perhaps it's time to diversify your source of funding and and grants well no i mean that's that funding is hard i I, i'm just trying to figure out there's a way to start moving this needle for more receptivity and not such like zero Mm -hmm. tolerance for any kind of criticism so Mm -hmm. so spooked about you know being intellectually honest about uh, an asymmetry in what kinds of rights are available to people Mm -hmm. in israel and in the west bank and Mm -hmm. throughout the areas there so Mm -hmm. i i just want to give you a chance quickly to tell us there's fellowships with the national network for arab american communities the Mm -hmm. fellowships they can find that just look up the fellowships with national network for arab the, yes, National Network for Arab American Communities, and they're placed here with us in at the Arab American Civic Council. Okay, you can pull uh, for, that up then online. Yes, yes. And, and it's due on uh, June 23rd. 23rd, June 23rd, so that's right around the, the corner. Date. I want everybody to get that. So The recent graduates uh, see, uh, and uh, uh, college students. And the application, you, mm-hmm. you pull it up when you pull up that fellowship link, and you can complete that there with the basic information and the, some, some written samples there. there. Well, I hate running out of time because there were so many things I, more I wanted to talk with you. Thank you, Rashad, for coming down to the station today. Thank you for having joining me. me. And it's just another installment. Can't wait for the next one with you. Thank you. So here we go. Getting to know you. My guest was Rashad Aldabak, a member of the Arab American Civic Council, posting us on his recent trip in D.C., as well as activities all throughout Southern California and activism under every rock. That's my wrap. Next week, for the full hour, I'll have immigration attorney Angelita Chavez practicing in Cerritos at the private firm Chug Limited Liability Partnerships with experience in family-based petitions, asylum, deportation defense, VAWA, and DACA. Last week, the American Immigration Lawyers Association convened and oh, to know what went on those sessions. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Haven't you noticed? Suddenly I'm bright.